Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Good morning and welcome to Horizon West Church Online. Uh, I do not always dance, but when I do, I'm in a large, empty auditorium while our team leads us in worship. So just so you know, that's what was just happening. I want to welcome you uh, to church this morning. I also want to welcome you to the month of May. Uh, if NSYNC has already not done that, then let me be the one to say it is May. And uh, May actually has several of my favorite holidays in it. Uh, we've got Star Wars Day tomorrow. May the 4th be with you. Uh, Cinco de Mayo, which is Tuesday. Uh, then we've got uh, Mother's Day coming up next Sunday. Guys, that's an important one to remember. And later this month, we've got Memorial Day. Great holidays. It's kind of an underrated month for holidays. So what I want you to do right at the top here is let us know which of those holidays in May you're most looking forward to. Star Wars Day, Cinco de Mayo, Mother's Day, or Memorial Day. Make sure you let us know in the comments there. Um, I also want to say right at the top of the service this morning to please stay on the stream the whole time. Because when we get to the end of the service this morning, uh, we're going to do something that's, that's really going to be cool. Um, and you're going to want to not miss that. You're going to want to be one of the first people to see what happens in just a few minutes here. Um, so stay to the end of the stream. And then the last thing I'll say is, uh, you heard Christian talk about it just a moment ago, but on this past Friday, just two days ago, we had the opportunity to collaborate with three other churches, Oasis Church, uh, Harvest Church, and Life Church Horizon West. And together, the four of our churches were able to serve uh, families in need in Horizon West and Winter Garden. Uh, I think you saw some pictures of that a little earlier. We've also got some stuff on our social media where you can check that out. But what a cool thing to be able to do. And again, uh, you weren't able to be there in person because we had to observe you know, social distancing and those kind of things, but you were there in your giving, you were there in your support and your prayer. Um, and so thank you for being a part of that. You know, what we did Friday is we collaborated with three other churches and pastors uh, in our area. It's such a great example of the essential that we're going to talk about this morning. And that essential is unity. As we, as we move to Acts chapter 1, because we're going to start there, uh, I, I want to give you some context, context rather for where we're going to be. Well, what has just happened is that Jesus has given the, the disciples the command to wait in Jerusalem, and, and then they're about to do something where uh, Judas, who is one of the twelve, you know, no longer part of the twelve because of his betrayal and his death, and so they're getting ready to replace Judas with Matthias so that they will still have twelve disciples. So it's in between this moment, and I want to pick up the story in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Follow along as we read that. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You know, what I want to highlight out of that passage is this phrase, with one accord, with one accord. Now, they were with one accord, not in one. They couldn't fit in one accord. Just hadn't said a dad joke in a while. I wanted to get that out there. But they were with one accord. And the Greek word there is this word I'm going to have to look at. It's this word homothumadon. Okay, maybe try saying that out loud. Homothumadon. 
This is the word that, that Luke is giving us when he says the disciples were in, uh, with one accord. And that word literally means they had the same movement, homo thumadon. They, they moved together. They moved with one. So we want to look today at what it looks like to be of the same movement. And the way we're going to do that, the way we're going to talk about unity is quite simply to talk about what unity isn't. And my belief is that by the time we unpack all of that, you're going to have a pretty clear idea of what Christian unity actually looks like. So here's the first thing that unity does not mean. Unity does not mean that we all look alike. If you notice in the upper room, what we just looked at in Acts chapter one, you've got different generations. Jesus's mother is there and probably some older women as well. You've also got the young disciples. There are others in the room. We don't know their ages, but certainly there's at least a few different generations. You've got different genders. It wasn't because they all looked alike that they were together. There was something else going on. In fact, just one chapter after this, in Acts chapter 2, Peter's going to deliver the first Christian sermon ever preached since Jesus' resurrection. And there's a translation device that they need. He's called the Holy Spirit. And that translation device descends and translates Peter's message into more than 10 different languages and 3,000 people get saved. See, I think that diversity, so as we talk about unity, diversity within unity This is core to the heart of God. It's not about all looking alike, speaking the same language. In fact, God intentionally established a a plan in which we would look wildly different from each other. I actually believe that the pursuit of diversity within our churches and within our congregations, this is not an extra credit assignment for believers. This is required. This is part and parcel to the gospel, that when we gather, we reflect the multiplicity of the church worldwide that God intended from the beginning. I want to give you some scripture to to back this up. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This we call as Christians the great commission and baked right into the heart of our mission is this phrase of all nations. Look at another one, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's look at two more, Revelation 7 verse 9. John, one of the disciples, has gotten a a vision from, from Christ, and this is what he sees. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, and they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And Galatians 3.28, the great anthem of the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you've missed the idea that Christian unity requires diversity to be baked within it, you've missed, I believe, the heart of the gospel. Dr. King, in December of 1963, said these words, we must face the fact that in America, the church is still the most segregated major institution in America. That 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, when we stand and sing that Christ has no east or west, we stand at the most segregated hour in this nation. What an indictment that is of us. 57 years ago, these words were spoken. 
And this reality has changed a little bit over the generations, but I want to point out two concerns that I have about where the church stands as it relates to diversity within its unity. Number one, the reality is not changing quickly enough. We, we are now generations removed from Dr. King's words. And, and the truth is we shouldn't be playing catch up to the culture. We should be leading it. We should be the most diverse places in our communities and, and we're not. It's not changing quickly enough. And number two, sadly, it's actually trending in the wrong direction. I don't know if you knew this, but over the past few years, we, we've seen a trend back toward less integrated churches, racially, ethnically, and languages. There was a New York Times article in March of 2018. It was titled, A Quiet Exodus, and it detailed how especially African-American church members in predominantly white evangelical churches were leaving in mass exodus, quietly pulling back and pulling away. There's fractures that have been uh, resurfacing and reemerging, and maybe they were there all along, but, but they're being highlighted, and so now we see people moving back in the wrong direction, away from diversity, friends, this is a problem. If we're going to be the church God has called us to be, if we're going to be united in the way he means for us to be, we must look differently from those who are around us to some degree. Here's another thing unity doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we all think alike. If we look again at the upper room in Acts chapter 1, those disciples who are gathered in that one accord or with that one accord, that, that heart together, same movement, posture, You'll see a couple of guys in that room. One is a guy named Matthew. He was a tax collector before Jesus called him, which meant that he was all in with the Roman government. He drew his income from the Roman government. He, he worked for the Roman government. He was hated by his people, but he was lockstep with the Romans. And there was another one of those disciples, a man named Simon the Zealot. And before Jesus called him, that group that he was a part of, the Zealots, they were insurrectionists. They were trying to overthrow the Roman government. And here you have these two men gathered in the upper room for no other reason but Jesus. They didn't think alike. They weren't wired the same way. And, and I want to address a situation that we're coming into that we need to be very, very careful about. As our current crisis and the situation we find ourselves in as it becomes more politicized and as it drags on longer and longer, we're going to need to navigate these coming weeks with a lot of grace and a lot of preservation of unity. Because friends, we, we're going to see wildly different perspectives. We're already seeing that emerge. And, and that difference in thinking, that difference in perspective, it cannot pull us apart from what is most essential, which is the gospel. We've got to be very, very careful that Christian love and Christian unity is more important to us than being with people that think like us, that look like us, that vote like us. You know, I believe very few people in our day and age would overtly break fellowship with someone simply because they look differently than them. We've gotten a little smarter than that. But the truth is, I know many people who will quickly break fellowship with somebody because they think differently. And they'll put a stamp of, I'm right on it. I, I, I'm right. I think better than they do. They, they have a, a wrong perspective. They're, they're wrong about this or that secondary doctrine. And they'll break fellowship. And I believe that Christian unity means not only not looking alike, but there's going to be ways that we don't even think alike. And yet we have the same movement. We have the same passion. 
See, I need to let you in on a secret if you don't know this. People that look differently than you, they think differently than you. <laughs> a lot of us would go, yeah, yeah, I'm fine with people that look differently than me. I, I want to be around people and, 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 and have it be diverse and, and well represented. But, but the truth is people that look differently than you think differently than you. They have different cultural experiences. They have different backgrounds. Sometimes they'll speak a different language or enjoy different food or different music. And all of a sudden we go, oh, well, well, that is a little bit too far. I want people that look like uh, different than me rather but people that think like me. And we got to get past that. If we're going to be the one church God's called us to be, we've got to get past only churching, only living with, only doing life with people that look and think like us. Here's a third thing that Christian unity does not mean. It does not mean that we all express worship alike. Now, my limited cultural experience tells me something. From what I've seen, Christians in Brazil express their worship a little differently than Christians in Germany. And believers in Haiti express their worship a little differently than believers in Korea, right? Because they're coming from different places. Their cultures are different. The way they express worship to God is different. And yet I grew up in an age in the 90s where there was something called worship wars, where churches were being split over what kind of music was preferred and how people expressed their worship. And can you raise your hand or can you not? Can you kneel or can you not? Can you shout to the Lord or do you have to remain quiet with your hands in your pockets? Christian unity does not mean that we all express worship alike. My roots ethnically, it's not going to surprise you, mostly European. Some German, some English, I think some Irish my family's probably watching and my dad and my grandmother could probably correct some of that, but, but mostly European, right? Mostly lighter skinned, Caucasian. That's my roots. And that influences the way that I worship. I'm not super demonstrative. It's not to say that everybody that looks like me is also not demonstrative, but, but that influence has borne on me. And if you're from Brazil or you're from the Dominican Republic or you're from Haiti or you're from Africa or Asia or wherever, your cultural influence will make a difference. See, I love that Jesus didn't say, hey, if you're gonna worship me, it's gotta look like this. If you're gonna worship me, you gotta do these three or four rituals, but don't do these 10. Jesus actually only had a couple of requirements for worship. Let's go to John chapter four together. John four verses 23 to 24. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Two requirements for worship that God accepts. One, in spirit, and two, in truth. In spirit, I believe, means that worship must not stifle the freedom and the movement and expression of the Holy Spirit. We can't stifle it. We can't, this might, uh, an example might be, um, for me, I'm uh, I'm in a, a worship environment and I feel compelled that I need to get down on my knees. That God is just saying, Chris, humble yourself in this moment. The, the, the words we're singing and, and the moment of worship, the way the Spirit's leading. But I go, oh, I can't, I can't get on my knees. It's going to look weird. People are going to kind of look at me funny. And man, why is he, is he, you know, should I do that? And why is he doing that? And it's going to create a scene. I'm not going to do that. See, I'm stifling the role of the Spirit. One of the things Jesus said was essential in worship. That's just one example. But then he also says in truth. So worship must not violate the clear teaching of scripture. 
I think this happens sometimes when we let really kind of poor song lyrics come into our, our churches, and we really try to be careful of that and protect that. But, but not every song that's been written should be sung in the church. Worship should reflect the clear teaching of Scripture. It should honor Christ. It should point people to the gospel. It should be about magnifying and making much of God. Other things like practices that reflect superstition or disregard for the body or a fixation on sensuality, these would be clearly disregarding Scripture. Jesus says, no, 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 you need to worship in spirit and also in truth. And then Paul's going to come along in 1 Corinthians 40, uh, sorry, 14, verse 40. This is what Paul says. All things should be done decently in, and in order. He's referring to the moments of worship, the worship services of the Corinthian church. He says, guys, when you gather, make sure two additional rules apply, or really maybe it's just one. Things need to be done decently and in order. And I think he's speaking especially of corporate worship. Because when you bring people from all these diverse backgrounds together, and we should, and you have diverse expressions of worship, and we must, Paul's going to go, but don't get carried away into chaos. Don't let it be haphazard and crazy. Don't have people singing seven different songs at one time. Don't have, have congregation members interrupting the preached word with some idea or vision. Be, be careful that you're not disregarding that it's fitting and in order. But I need to say a word to my tribe. Not all of you who are watching are Southern Baptists, but many of you are. And the truth is, some of us who rail against disorderly worship have no issue with the lack of spirit, freedom, and movement in our own expression of worship. We go, oh, well, we would never get carried away and, and do crazy things and, and, and be disorderly because Paul said that it should be done in order. And yet we don't even ask ourselves, is my worship really an expression of the movement of the Holy Spirit within me? And really it's all of the above. It's not either or. In spirit and in truth. And then Paul's going to add, and also make sure that it's decent or fitting is how one translation says it. Fitting and in order. In fact, you need to know that the previous verse to the one we read a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 39, what Paul's doing there is affirming the gifts of prophecy and tongues. So he's not saying it needs to be orderly, meaning map it all out, check it all off the box, don't do anything weird or different, you know, just keep it in the, in the box. He's not saying that. He's saying because the Spirit of God is going to be exploding in the room as you worship and you're going to be passionate and excited and you're going to want to share and you're going to want to participate, make sure that you don't go so far that it's chaos, Right? And so all of these things are part of what true expression of worship is. There is not a right or wrong instrument. There's not a right or wrong posture. There's not a right or wrong song. As long as it is in spirit, it is in truth, and there is a sense of order within it. And what I have found to be true is that those who draw their circle really, really tightly about what is fitting and orderly in worship, what happens over time, they start to have people around them that reflect what they look like, what they worship like, what they think like, not necessarily what God intended for them to be around. Here's the fourth and final thing that unity does not mean, and this one kind of ties it all together, and you'll see what I mean in just a second, but unity in the church, Christian unity, does not mean uniformity. One of the things I've observed over the years with organizations that we would consider just inherently evil because they are 
they have a tendency to gravitate toward uniformity. It's an interesting thing. I'll give you some examples. The Nazis identified themselves by the swastika on their left armband. It was a symbol of uniformity and moved them in the direction together. The Klan often identifies with white hoods and they all get in them and they all go do their evil around their communities and they're identified by that symbol and others. Gang members in the cities and in our streets who identify by tattoos on the same part of the body or the same colored bandana hanging out their pocket and, and it's uniform, it's lockstep. Everybody does it together and they're easily identified by those symbols of uniformity. And here's what's really cool. Christianity is beautifully lacking in uniformity of any kind. We look different. We think different. We express our worship different, and God is glorified in that. Unity does not mean uniformity. Earlier this week, talking with Pastor Danny, the senior associate pastor here at First Orlando, and he, he said it this way. I loved the, the phrase. He said, unity is not about being alike. It is about being aligned. I hope you hear that Greek, Greek word again, homothumidon. It's about same movement. We're aligned together. The truth is, my hearts are fully aligned. My heart is fully aligned with guys like Brant and William and DL, pastors of these churches in Horizon West and Winter Garden that I was serving food with on Friday. My heart is aligned. We don't think alike about all the same things. Our, our name on the door is different, but we have the same movement and the same passion to glorify Jesus and to make him known. And look what happens when unlike people choose to use their freedom to align themselves together around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at one more passage in John chapter 17 verses 20 to 23. And just before we go there, you need to know that this is what we call the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus just before he's arrested and turned over to be crucified. And he's going to go before the Father. He's going to pray for his disciples. And then he's going to turn his attention and pray, yes, for you, if you put your trust in Jesus. Jesus prayed for you in John 17. And he prayed for me. He prayed for us. And this is what he prayed. I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have also given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them even as you loved me. Now one quick note on that before I get to a phrase that I want to draw out of it. Christian unity or unity with other people does not take precedence over union with Christ. This isn't about holding hands and singing, we are the world, okay? This is Christian unity, and it's based on union with Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God who lived and died in our place to, to cover and pay for our sins, who was raised to life on the third day, ascended to the Father, and sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts by faith. That is essential, but Christian unity supports that idea. So we're not saying unity at all costs. We're saying Christian unity based on our union with Jesus himself. And then Jesus says this, when that happens, when our union with Christ spills over into Christian unity with other followers of Jesus from different nations and tribes and languages and backgrounds, he says it's for this reason, that the world 
may know. That the world may know. I I need to caution you with a, a couple of insights. that You can advance your political agenda or God's mission, but you will rarely accomplish both. You can highlight your doctrinal distinctives or you can highlight the mission of God, but you will rarely do both. The question is this. Are my preferences more important than the priorities of God? Jesus cared about Christian unity. He prayed for Christian unity. It mattered to him. We've shown you in several different passages of Scripture where Jesus himself bangs the drum for Christians being united within their diverse expressions, being one for the purpose of the gospel that the world may know. And I just wonder if one of the reasons the church is less effective than it could be is because we're so fractured. Because we've said that the, per, the way that person expresses their worship doesn't jive with me. And, and the way that person votes, I, I can't reconcile that. And the way that that person speaks about it, I, and we get so fractured. And Jesus said, if we would be one in the gospel, glorifying God through Jesus together and linking arms for the kingdom, the world's going to know. And they're going to glorify God too. I shared with you earlier and I've talked about it a few times, but this food drive that we did on, on Friday with these other pastors. And before we did that, we just huddled up and kind of huddled, kind of spread out. And, but I asked the couple of the pastors to just lead out in prayer and they, and they did and they prayed. I think I even shared the video on my Facebook page, but prayer saying, God, make us one, use us, let us be your hands and feet, Jesus. And then we went out and served in his name. Notice John 17, when Jesus desired unity, he didn't go and preach another sermon about it. He prayed for it. And notice going all the way back to Acts chapter 1, when those disciples were with one accord, when they were in same movement together, it says that they devoted themselves to what? To prayer. See, if we're going to have Christian unity in its fullest expression, we're going to have it through prayer. I believe that the church is at its best when it is united together in bold and God-honoring prayer. Not just talking about prayer, not just teaching about prayer, not just giving mental assent to prayer or lip service, but getting on our knees, getting on our faces, standing before the Lord and crying out to God for unity in the church that the world may know. I want to close by inviting you to something that's going to begin tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, we're going to start a seven-day prayer journey. I want to invite all of you, Horizon West Church and everybody who's watching on this stream, for the next seven days, Monday through Sunday, we're doing something that we're just calling draw near. It comes out of Hebrews where seven times the writer of Hebrews says that we're to draw near to God. And so we're going to draw near over these next seven days. And each day, there's going to be a different emphasis that we're going to be praying for, praying for people to come to know Jesus, praying for an end to this virus and for those who are struggling with health issues, praying for those who have lost jobs, who are facing financial hardship. We're going to just pray. We're going to go before God in unity, in movement together, and we're going to seek him together. We've got a graphic here. It's kind of just show you a little bit of what that looks like, and you'll see this if you're on our social media, and that's going to clue you in that that's what that's about. That's our prayer journey, and we're also going to have each morning, tomorrow through Sunday, we're going to have that on our website, horizonwestchurch.com, where you can go in There's going to be a scripture to read and reflect on. There's going to be something to pray that we can all pray together and link our hearts around. We can't be in proximity together yet, but we want to be and we must be in prayer together. And I want to invite you to join us 
on that journey. Well, we're going to do something now. And I told you at the beginning of the service, you're going to want to stay to the very end because this is incredible. Worship pastor here at uh, the John Young campus, our John Young campus, Roberto Bruno and, and Justin at our Horizon West campus and several others got together and, and they cast a vision for what would it look like to have dozens and dozens and dozens of local church worship leaders and worship pastors send in videos of them singing a worship song together and then putting that together and what would that look like as an expression of our unity around the gospel? The song they're going to sing is called The Blessing. It's, it's an Aaronic or a high priestly prayer from the Old Testament where Aaron says, The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance to you and give you peace. That is our prayer for you. But you need to know that that prayer finds its fulfillment in another high priest, not Aaron of the Old Testament, but Jesus, the Son of God. That prayer of God's favor and blessing is the inheritance of those who have put their trust in Jesus for salvation. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.